Now, today is uh, first week in terms of ministering. Uh, the title is the Spiritual Boot Camp. And what I'm going to share today is something that God privileged me to share in Birmingham. Uh, this was the, uh, the, the message as I was uh, ministering, it was challenging me, which is always a good thing. And uh, a scripture, a key scripture is going to be Revelations 2. And I greet all the guests that are present. Now, Revelations, we're going to start from, if I start at Revelations chapter 1, and I'm just going to uh, read verse from verse 8. And it says, it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as, as a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and what you see write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, Samaria, to Pergamon, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice and spoke with, who spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet, and girdled about him the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like brass, and as, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. Praise God. Amen. So we have a picture. Uh, we'll go in a minute. So we have a picture of, uh, this is John the Beloved that used to sit uh, on the bosom of Jesus when he was on the earth. But here now, Jesus the resurrected Lord, he was in a different picture. The John that he would just, uh, the Jesus that he would just put his shoulder on and go, this Jesus was so awesome that he was scared. This was not the, the Jesus that was walking on the earth. This is his resurrected and his resurrected Jesus. And he was about to send a message to the seven churches. And if I go to, um, I jump to verse 18, and it says, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write these things which you have seen and the things which you 
things which are and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you, which you saw are the seven churches. Amen. So we have a picture. Jesus is explaining what, what John is seeing. Jesus is walking amongst the lampstands and that's a beautiful message to say that Jesus moves along his real church. He's in the presence of, hello darling. <laughs> Don't worry, we're used to children here, it's all right. <laughs> Amen. So he's showing, he's moving amongst his church and he's about to give a message to seven churches and I think probably at this point, uh, Todd, you possible? Ah, wonderful. Okay, so the seven dots, as uh, described in Asia, I hope this is on the, oh, great, excellent. Now, that whole area is modern-day Turkey, but it used to be called Asia Minor. Now, normally, uh, well, I'll just point out, uh, Patmos is a small island which is about 60 miles from the mainland and the first the letter that was going to be written was to Ephesus. Uh, now, it, it wasn't well, a piece of paper, it was normally a scroll. So, normally when we approach this, we always go to, in fact, we'll quickly go round the, the, the summary of the seven churches. So, we had number one, Ephesus. And those who know your Bible, it was a marvelous church, it was doing great things, but it lost its first love. And losing its first love wasn't a small matter because Jesus said, repent quickly, lest I remove your lampstand. So having a loveless church or a loveless church for Christ is a serious matter. Then we're going to quickly go to uh, Samaria, the persecuted church. Then Pergamon, the compromising church. And then the next one, Thyatira, the corrupt church. Sardis, the dead church. Where's my other one? Sardis, ah, here we are. Philadelphia, faithful church. And Laodicea, lukewarm church. Now, just before we, we close on this one, I just want to give you roughly how far they were away from each other, because this is quite important. Now, uh, Patmos is about 60 miles, but perhaps by sea could be done in a day. Ephesus was approximately 40 miles away from Samaria. And in those days, you walked approximately 10 miles a day. So it would take approximately four days uh, for anyone from Ephesus to go to Samaria, or Samaria to Ephesus. And from Samaria to Pergamum, that was about 35 miles. So again, 35 days. So we're mostly about between four and five days. Uh, and from Ephesus to Laodicea was 120 miles. So it would take approximately 12 days. Okay, for the moment, I think we can finish with this. Okay, praise God. Thank you. Now, normally, when we talk about the revelation and particularly the seven churches we normally start at chapter one with ephesus but the trouble with that is 
when we go through Ephesus, by the time we've gone through everything, the other churches are almost sort of, we're still spinning from all the things that was happening in Ephesus. So rather than that, we're going to go straight to Samaria, which is verse 8. Now, I'm just going to open the first line, and then I'm going to explain a little bit about Smyrna. Sorry, Smyrna. It says, verse 8, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things say the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works. Okay, let's stop there. Now, Smyrna was, as I say, about 40 miles from Ephesus. And directly from Smyrna, you could go, you could just, quick, just quickly put on, sorry, quickly put on, just want you to demonstrate this. This is one of the reasons I thought I'd keep this one. Smyrna, a direct line from Smyrna went to Athens. And it was one of the, one of the, it was competing with Ephesus with the importance of the ports. Because it was a direct line going west to the uh, to Ephesus, sorry, to Athens. Now, Smyrna uh, was a prosperous city, and then in 600 BC, this will all makes sense in a minute, the king of Lydia came and destroyed it, reduced it to a small village. And then Alexander the Great, whilst moving there, had a dream. And his dream was to build Smyrna. So he, he rebuilt it into this uh, amazing place. It was uh, beautiful. It had great architecture, etc. And one thing Smyrna uh, managed to do was it had exclusive rights to sell myrrh, import and sell myrrh. That's where the name comes from, Smyrna. It was the main produce, and uh, it, was, it controlled the export and the import of myrrh. This was a very expensive uh, uh, fragrance used all around, all around that area, and particularly Egypt in their balming, and even used in Israel for balming. Now, so the people of Smyrna used to say that they are a city that has been resurrected. Because their, their history was that it once used to be destroyed, but it's now been resurrected. And so that was one of the phrases that they used to, they used to say about them. We are a city that's been resurrected. So when Jesus comes to Smyrna and he says, and to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, these things say, the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. The Smyrna's would say, Jesus knows us. Jesus knows. That's, that's our phrase. It's like, it's like Jesus coming and saying, Numa, love, I, I am love seen in action. We all go, whoa, glory. Jesus knows us. It's a phrase that we use. So, he says, I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you're rich. I know the blasphemy of those who say that 
they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. So what was Jesus referring to? First of all, the tribulation there, apparently, I'm taking someone else's word, I haven't looked up the Greek, but apparently it was a, that, that word tribulation was a form of old-fashioned torture. What they used to do is put weights on your chest, gradually put weights on your tre- chest until you couldn't breathe anymore. So Jesus is saying, I, I, I know your works, I know the tribulation, I know the poverty, yet you're rich. Now, as I've said, Smyrna was a rich place. So why were the Christians in poverty? Well, in order to prosper, you needed to uh, join the various trade associations. And many of the trade associations had various gods that you had to. And even worse, you had to um, worship the, the emperor. And the emperor at that, that time was uh, Dimitius. Probably on D-O-M-D-M-D-M-D-M-D-M-D-M-D-M-D-M-D-M-D-M-D-M-D-M-D-M-D-M-D-M-D-M-D-M-D-M-D-M-D-M-D-M-D-M-D-M-D-M-D-
didn't like families because they were all, all interested in themselves, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. So they, the Christians, were being blasphemed and slandered. So they had the economic pressure. They had the spiritual pressure. And then they had Jews who you thought would be your friends are your worst enemies. So this is the, the Christians of the Smyrnas. For Smyrna. Verse 10. Then Jesus says, Do not fear any of those things which are about which you're about to suffer. What? Oh Jesus, have you not heard? Haven't you just haven't you just quoted all the things we're suffering already? You're now saying, let me what let me make sure I read, read this. It says, <laughs> Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Oh Lord Jesus, help me. Haven't I suffered enough? Haven't I done all that you want me to do? What do you mean I'm about to suffer? Let's read on. He says, Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison. <laughs> is it, are you talking the same church? <laughs> that you will be tested. And that you will have tribulation 10 days. Now, 10 days was considered short. So you're thinking, okay, okay. In prison, 10 days. Okay, I, 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 can, I can handle that. Be faithful until death. Hey, 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 Lord. No, hold, hold on, Lord. Now, come on, now, come on. <laughs> in, in, in prison, 10 days or thereabouts. Okay, yeah. But you're talking about death now. How can I? Where's the testing in that? If I'm tested and I'm dead, it's over, isn't it? And I says, and you will, you will have tribulation 10 days and be faithful until death. And I will give you a crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt on the second death. Now, when I first read this, not first, but when I was ministering in Birmingham, I asked the question, I'm going to ask you who are watching and you here, and I don't want you to answer orally, but I want you to answer truthfully. That's inside. And remember, this is Jesus speaking. This isn't a prophet from I don't know what. This is Jesus speaking, so you know it's going to happen. Now, as we said at the beginning, if Jesus says, I am the Lord, where love is seen in action. The question I'm asking you, because we, we already know now that the nearest church is about four days away that way or four days away that way. The question I'm asking you, you speak you honestly, would you remain at that church? Don't, add, don't, don't even smile that, so that I, I can't pick up anything. If this was a message coming to Numa 
or coming to whatever church you're at, would you remain at that church? Or would you be looking to move? Uh, we, we read all the different churches. They're four days away. One was loveless. The other one was corrupted. The other one was, I can't remember all of them. Ah, here we go. Thank you. I didn't know you could. Wow, this guy is so great. God bless him. <laughs> okay. We've got loveless, another four days, or compromising, another four days. Or would you go a bit further, another four days to the corrupt church? Or perhaps another four days to the dead church? Which of the, which of the churches would you be walking, if you at all? And this is, this is what started to challenge me. It's all right saying glory, hallelujah, wonderful, praise God. This is now literally life and death. And the one thing that started to challenge me is to say, Lord, what would I do? And you, and you notice it says, it says that, Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. Lord, I'm praying, but let it not be me. Is that the prayer? <laughs> we were talking yesterday, and we were saying about um, the issues that are happening in the world. And how, for instance, Afghanistan... I was saying, we the older ones, are we like Ezekiah? We have a joke here that uh, Ezekiah was a king that when God told him he was about to get his life in order, he prayed and prayed and prayed till the prophet who told him to get his life in order, he, he prayed and he was saying, God, who's going to praise you? Look all the things I've done. So much so the prophet who gave him the message had to turn around and come back and say, God has heard your prayer. He's given you 50 more years. One five. Later on, when uh, the same prophet said that uh, an a unknown, a small little kingdom called Babylon was going to one day grow up and come down and take your children make them slaves, make them eunuchs, uh, uh, devastate your kingdom. Ezekiah said, oh, praise God, it's not in my time. In other words, when it was him at stake, he prayed, he interceded, he cried. He said, Lord, put all the but because it was his children and his children's children, he said, ah, well, it's not... At least there's peace in my time. Now, is that the type of Christians that we are? Because we don't know. We're gonna, I'm going to go to a, a scripture which uh, helps, helps us. But anyway, so here we have. And the thing that, uh, and I'll, I'll mention her name because she, she really blessed me. Deaconess Adiza. She said something that was so, I don't know if she knows how profound what she said. But it really, really ministered. Because I was saying, Lord, there are people here 
that have gone through things that I haven't yet gone through. And I'm saying, Lord, when it's my time, will I be able to deal with it as well as some of these people here? Some of you know what I'm talking about, some of you don't. And I've always been the person, if I haven't been through it, I am very careful and gentle how I deal with that person and how I say it about myself. It's one thing of saying, ah, when the storms of life comes into my life, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that. Praise God, hallelujah. We'll see when it's your turn. Those who are giving the harshest advice that have never been through it, ah, oh, you should have done this, you should have done that, why haven't you done that? Okay, praise God. I hope you can, I hope you can eat your own uh, meal. When you haven't gone through it, be very gentle. Because your own words might embarrass you. I've heard, I've heard, I've heard of a pastor who, uh, who used to uh, counsel people and say, be strong, whatever. And then when it was his term, he was weeping, he was broken. And they were saying, pastor, when it was our turn, you were telling us to do this. Ah, oh, my, my grief is deeper than yours. <laughs> because I'm a pastor. Now, the key thing is that God does not, and this, this you may even question is, God does not allow you to endure more than you can bear. So there are some things that someone, that's what uh, I not only grabbed from uh, Deaconess Deza, I grabbed it and said, yes. God does not, God will not allow you to bear more than you can. However, you do not yet know how much you can bear. And furthermore, God will train you. Now, some of the things that we've gone through, I, 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 I've said it a number of times, uh, uh, that... Uh, 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 Deaconess Rita and Deaconess Mel uh, are, are, are vying to know who who is who God who's God's favorite. And I've said, I'm not even in that realm. I'm saying, God, do you even like me? Now the reason I said that until this training was that I've been looking at it the wrong way. In other words, the, the reason, possibly, because we've heard some of their testimonies and what they've gone through, possibly the reason why they can still say, I am God's favorite, is because they've understood that what they have gone through was training. Training for reigning. When you have a different attitude, when you go to a boot camp, if you have no idea why you're going for a boot camp, you just hear someone shouting at you, screaming at you, jump over this, da, da, da. You're, you're thinking, what on earth? All you want to do is get out. When you know that the boot camp has purpose, when you know you have a purpose, like for instance, every, and we have to go to the military now, every training, every Training, every military, there is a purpose. 
is to take the civilian and beat the civilian out of you and train you to be whatever they want at the end. Now, if you want to be in, say, the Royal Marines, commandos, the, different, the training you go through is different from the, the, the ordinary soldier. And when you understand, I can now look back and think, oh, I see. The things that I was going through and going through isn't because, isn't because God does not like me. It's because he's preparing me and training me for the future. And when you start to have a, a, what I call a, a more mature understanding of, first of all, what it is to be a Christian. I'll say this, I said it Wednesday, and uh, I'll say it now because not everybody was there. And I want everybody to be on the same page. If you went to a recruiting office, military, and the military officer looking sharp and his uniform and everything and has everything was saying, you know, join my regiment and starts to tell you of the history, the battles they've won, the, the heroes of, of what they've done. And uh, they were telling you the equipment, the training and the places you would go if you join his regiment. And you'll be just thinking, wow, yeah. And then he said, furthermore, the, the, the training we give you, I guarantee you will never get shot. I guarantee you will never get injured. I guarantee you will never die. Join my regiment. Now I hope most of you at that point would think, hey, just a minute. No, no army on this earth can guarantee that you won't get shot, you won't get wounded, and you won't possibly die. It's just not possible. But, as I said Wednesday, how is it when we join the kingdom of God's army, we get, sh we get shocked when we get injured. We get shocked when we get wounded. We even get shocked if we were to die. What, recru what recruiting officer recruited us? Let me just show you a few things that further, uh, further shook me up. Because we go, we go back in a minute. Now, if you go to Revelation 6, and for those of you who are not Christians, it's not to scare you off, but there is a greater, a greater calling. So, if you go to Revelation 6, verse 8, I think. Yes, Revelation 6, verse 8. Now, this is, this is uh, without going through it, this is uh, John describing the seals being broken, and verse 8 says, So I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and, and the name of him was sat on it was Death and Hades, and followed him uh, was the power that was given to him, power of the, and the power given to him over a fourth of the earth to kill, the, kill with sword, with hunger and death, and by the beasts of the earth. Verse 9. 
When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then, then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and brethren who would be killed as they was are completed. There's two things I wanted to point out. These are Christians who've been beheaded or killed. And there is a sense of injustice. This is in heaven. There is a sense of injustice to say, God, you know the manner in which we died. And there's a sense of, Lord, there is unfinished business. We demand or we require justice. We've died. And it says, how long? How long are you holding back what is the due uh, uh, punishment of those on the earth? Now, I would think to myself, hmm, because we've always had pictures of, say, obviously Jesus saying, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Then we have Stephen saying, uh, Lord, do not lay this thing on to them. But we here we have a, a, a bunch of Christians who are somehow still saying, Lord, we have put ourselves in your hands. We require judgment. And God didn't say, hey, you're in heaven now. The key thing is this. I would just imagine what would have might have made them feel that way. Like, for instance, in North Korea, apparently, if, if they find that you have, okay, if you're living in somewhere and you make a mistake of, of leaving a Bible in the house, say they're renovati renovating and they find a Bible, what they will do, they will find out who lived there. Seek who last lived there and find that person. And when they find the person, they have a thing called three-generation punishment. So what they do, they find you, then they find your parents, then they find your children. And then they say, are you going to give up Jesus? And if you say no, they kill the children in front of you. Then they say, are you going to give up Jesus now? And if you say no, they then kill your parents in front of you. And then finally, they kill you. Now, you can imagine. It's one thing you're saying, okay, Lord, unto you I give to my body, etc. And you die for the Lord and say, praise God. But to see the pain of your, your children in front of you being tortured and then killed. Are you going to give up the Lord, give up Jesus? He said, no. But it's not, oh no, it's in tears. It's in pain. Then they turn to your parents 
elderly may be. And they say, are you going to give up Christ now? And you say, no. And they talk to your parents, if we're, if we're privileged to have parents, and they kill you in front of you. And they, they kill you. Now, in that kind of situation, you can understand why they're saying, God, there is unfinished business. This isn't a glory hallelujah, just chop my head off, glory hallelujah. This is pain. Now, all this is to say this, and, I, I'm, and I'm going to quickly, uh, I'm, I'm going to go back in a bit, but let us go to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Sometimes it's difficult to, uh, to, to fathom all of what Revelation is saying, and we put this part in here. But Jesus was answering a question posed by his disciples. We can be there, but let me just sort of... Uh, Okay, uh, if I start at, say, uh, okay, I'll start at verse 5, and then we we'll go through. It says, okay, Matthew 24, verse 5. For many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars, rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, okay? So you, when you hear wars, rumors of wars... It says, see that you're not troubled. Do not be like everybody else. Quoting and fearful, etc. I, I see things on, on um, WhatsApp and things like that. And they're Christians. You're thinking, why are you surprised? Why is it a surprise to you? Anyway, it goes on. And all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nations and kingdom against kingdoms. And there will be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. All this is the beginning of sorrows. I'll read again. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then it says, then they will deliver you up. Uh, sorry, again. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then, uh, uh, I, I'll just pause there for a moment. No, I will go on when it says, Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now, I, I don't want to uh, frighten people, but let's get real. Let's get real. Now, the first thing I want you to notice here, when it says pestilence and earthquakes and in diverse places, the unsaved used to say, ah, there have always been earthquakes and famine, etc. They're not saying that now. If you listen to the news, they're not saying it now. They're telling you even more horrible stories that uh, uh, 
temperatures are going to be 50 degrees and in the next couple of years and uh, this, that, that's happening. This is what God, Christ has already said is going to happen. Look up. But I'll get back to the, the training. If God had, this is my, uh, my, if God had told the church of Smyrna, had told, if God had told the church of Laodicea what he told the church of Smyrna, that's the lukewarm church, as big as it was, I would imagine that it wouldn't take long, perhaps next week or the week after, it would be an empty church. Why? Because they're not prepared. They've not gone through any they've not gone through any any trouble. As far as they're concerned, they think they're doing fine. They're rich, they're they're wealthy, they're comfortable. So what's what's this business about trouble? So if Jesus was sending a message to uh, Laodicea to say that the devil has a plan for you, is going to throw some of you in prison, and some of you are going to, be, uh, going to be killed, I would imagine the church of Laodicea would have been no more. Because people would be saying, okay, where's the nearest church? Right. The reason my attitude has changed to my troubles is, as I said before, because I now recognize that I'm being trained. And because I can either be trained and squeal all the way there, or I can be trained and say, yes, sir, I understand. And that has been my, my attitude has began to change. Same problem, same, same situation, but something has changed here because I understand that I'm under, under authority. My Lord is not just, he's, he, uh, that's when we talked about being a soldier, uh, the centurion, the thing that the centurion understood, he understood authority. What he understood was this. If his commanding officer told him to do something, he had no choice. It's not a debate. Oh, why, why, are you, why are you telling me to go over there? You go, yes, sir. And then whatever object he says, I need you to go up that hill, I need to hold that hill, and I need you to hold it until reinforcements come. All his thinking is, how now do I carry out that duty to the best of my ability? I've got soldiers around me, I've been told to hold that. There is no debate. When we begin to understand that our loving father, fortunately, is also our training, is the person who trains us. In other words, he will not give us more than we can bear. But he knows where he wants to take us. And where he wants to take us, we can't handle it as we are now. Until we actually toughen up, get more experience. Some of the things that we go through, we think that God want, is killing us. We say, God, Lord, no. As I said, I've said, I've thought, God, you don't even like me. <laughs> because the things that I'm going through is not what I liked or thought or hoped 
But I realize now I am, I joined an army. I'm being trained. And the interesting thing is that each training that you go through, at the end of it, there is a particular training, for instance, if you want to be um, a paratrooper regiment. And I got this from uh, uh, Papa. I knew that they trained them tough, but I didn't know this. Apparently, part of their training, you have to uh, stand undefended whilst somebody punches you for a minute. So, bang, 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 batters you, batters you, and you have to stand there and take it. Some women want to join the paratroopers. Few get past that place. But that is part of the training. And the training, I, I, I know the paratroopers because they are, their, their existence is to go behind enemy line. They're, in fact, okay, they train them tough, they train them aggressive. Because their job is to parachute behind enemy line and whatever objective is to either hold, say, a bridge or hold it and they are there, they are aggressive. That's what, that's what they train for. They're hard and aggressive. There's, uh, there's, uh, we all hear of, uh, uh, I won't go there yet. There's some, what they call elite forces. And the difference, they're the same human being. What makes them different is the training. To be a paratrooper, there's a particular training. To be a, a Royal Marine, there's a particular training. In fact, the Royal Marines are trained at all different in wind. In, in snow, in jungle, in desert, in every, they're trained. That's how they're trained. So wherever there's a problem, whatever terrain, you drop them in, they know what they're doing. They're trained. There's the French Foreign Legion, which are, I don't know if they're still as brutal as they used to be, but the French Foreign Legion, you don't, you don't even have to give the name. You could, nobody wants to know who you... You may be a, 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 a murderer. They don't care. You just sign and that's it. And they... I don't know if they still are. They were brutal in how they trained them. But they used to have a saying. No retreat, no surrender. So when you put them in front, they basically... You take them dead or you take them alive. I mean, in other words, they either finish the objective, or they die on the field. No retreat, no surrender. Training. They, they, as, as some would say, they don't have two heads. But they go through a particular training, and that training prepares them for whatever God, well, sorry, whatever the army wants them to do. And finally, just an example. Apparently, in the Falcons War, there's, the, there's a regiment called the Gurkhas. They're from Nepalese, Nepalese. And they're the ones that the modern people go up to Everest in their, uh, their coats and their tech this and tech that and gauze that. The Nepalese are just in their normal whatever. And they're, they're the ones that are carrying the heavy weight to go up to Everest. Well, there's a whole regiment of them. And because everybody wants to, in the Nepalese, wants to be in the British Army because they pay well and all the rest of it, only the creme of the creme. 
Now, apparently, they're not apparently, they are tough. And apparently in the Falklands War, when they were fighting the Argentinas, they, the, the Argentines heard that the Gurkha regiment was being let loose. Apparently they were, they were just scared because they knew these were small but tough people. And they have a sword, which is like a, it's almost like a, an S. And they have, a, they have a, 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 a tradition. They do not take the sword out and put it back unless blood's on it. So if they don't do anything, they even cut their own finger and put it back in. So when they heard the Gurkhas was being let loose, the Argentinians start to get frightened because they knew the reputation of the Gurkhas. Why? Through training. Now God, uh, I'm going to pause for now, but there's several things I just want to re-emphasize. There used to be a phrase called training for reigning. And it's true. We've got soft and we've got we've we've lost focus. In Smyrna, he was saying, he said, some of you will be put in prison and you're gonna be tested. Some of you will die. And when I saw that, I said, Well, how can you know? How can you be tested if you're, you know, if you're tested, you're dead? Until you recognize that sometimes God gets more glory from our death than from being alive. Now that sounds harsh, but that is the truth. There are times God gets more glory from our death than from being alive. And the question I oh, uh, uh, leave with this, because uh, next week I'm going to deal with something else. As I was saying, do you think the people in Pakistan, because if you wanted to know which fits this picture, I would say Pakistan. In Pakistan, because it's predominantly um, Muslim, as a Christian, you're a second-class citizen. There's certain jobs you can't have. There's certain things that... Uh, uh, you can't do because you're Christian. And the question I ask is, does the people in Pakistan or Afghanistan or North Korea read a different Bible than we do? So what I'm asking is, how is it they're enduring what they're enduring and if anything, they're praying for us? They're saying, as they're suffering, they say, don't pray for us. We're praying for you. Do, I mean, is, is there some, some Bible that they have? We go down to Afghanistan and we find, a, 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 aha, now I can see why, you're as, why you are the way you are. No, it's because they understand what they accepted Jesus Christ. They understand the price. They understand that, yes, it could cost me my life. I, I, I spoke to one person, I won't give the name, but I was just talking and I was describing the North Korean way of killing uh, children, parents, and I was sort of saying, uh, uh, if, you know, the fact that they were killing their children, uh, having to, would not, not would you give up, but before I had time even to say, uh, would you give up Jesus? 
The person said, no. I thought, whoa, wow, okay. This person thought about it. We need to understand the glory, the, the, the wonder of Jesus, to understand that we're soldiers, we have a loving Father, we need to prepare our mind and our spirit to say, Lord, I worship you with everything I have. And one day you may say, I'm not there yet. Don't get me wrong in any way. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> but my mind change, my attitude change is to serve. What sober me up is to say, God, you may one day want my life. Let me worship you with everything I have now. Let me adore you now. Let me worship you as God, the God that you are. So if one day you say, I need you to offer your life. Do you know James? Uh, we had we always had his three people around Jesus was uh, Peter, James, and John. And you know that those three were always there and how much Jesus poured into all three of them. Do you know, James never wrote a single book. James didn't do anything in terms of uh, to pass on. All this, all this knowledge and thing that was poured into him, he never did a thing. What he did, he died. And I was thinking, Jesus, did you know all this time when you're pouring it in to, to Peter, James, and John, James would actually be the first apostle martyred? And I would have said, yes, he did. This is the same Jesus that does not waste anointing. He's the one that fed the 5,000 and made sure that all the crumbs were picked up. It does not waste anointing. But whatever the purpose of James was probably fulfilled when he died. I'm just saying, look, people, let's get real. There are things that are, there are things that are troubliness. When you think of the big picture, they are nothing. Let's get real. Let's understand that we're on a journey. We're on a journey to serve our Father with everything that we have. And next week, I'm just going to cover probably very briefly, six people who God had prepared. Most of them, most of them had lost parents. In fact, I'll just name some of them. Esther, brought up by her cousin. Daniel, anyone knows he's one of my heroes. Daniel, probably lost he lost lost everything and get this you young people 
castrated at the age of 17. Oh, what future he thought he had. And his first test is over food. David, my gosh, tested when he, when he was anointed king. That was the beginning of his problems. But he's been trained. He's been trained. As I say, some of us may look at our beginnings and think, Lord, it's just been too tough. But I'm just saying, God has been preparing you. And I hope that I'm here to let you know that your beginnings and you, what you may have gone through and the trauma you may have gone through, God didn't engineer that, but God can still use that because the greater the training, the higher God wants you to be. The Joseph, doted Joseph, lost his mom, doted father. God had planned for him to be the second in command of, of the highest, most prosperous, powerful country. He had to be trained. He had to be trained so that when he's ready, he'll be able to handle what God has planned for him. So all those like me who feel that you've been going through a tough time, God is training you. Just embrace it. God is training you. Later on, you will see what the whole training was for. In Jesus' name, amen.